As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, we're taking inspiration from Jim Ratcliffe. And so I am proud to announce that we will be named the greatest podcast in the world within three years. I'm only joking. But we will be discussing Ratcliffe and his plans for Manchester United. We'll also be talking about the Carabao Cup final and the midweek action as Arsenal concede a late sucker punch against Porto. And joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we have the chief correspondent for the Times and Sunday Times, Martin Samuel, a football writer and the author of our Monday football newsletter, James Gearbrandt, and a former footballer who can sympathise with Arsenal players as he too knows about conceding late goals in the Cup after his Northampton side were cruelly knocked out of the 2014 FA Cup by Rochdale, losing 2-1 in the 90th minute, having been leading 1-0 with five minutes to go. Gregor Robertson is here too. Still Sting, you at fault for any of those two goals? 85 and 90 you conceded. More worryingly, I don't don't remember no, that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Anyway, um, listeners are very, very keen for me to find out whether you, Martin Samuel, have a nickname. From Monday's show, we were talking about nicknames and titles. <laughs> And I ended the show no. by saying whether, I, whether I'd have the cheek to give you my own nickname. Ever had a nickname within journalism? I think uh, Dicko calls me... <laughs> no, it's not a nickname, is it? I mean, Dicko calls me Sam. A few people call me Sam. Called Sam but, in the... In the but, in that's, the... Uh, but that's not okay. really... Uh... Well, may, maybe because of your squeaky water bottle, which makes an intro from time to time. Uh, I was thinking yes. maybe I could call you WD-40. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just the once you can. Yeah, yeah okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> that, that went a lot better than I was expecting, listeners. Right, to the action. And there's lots to discuss, so we're going to go quick fire through... Um, um, the midweek stuff. Arsenal, completely sucker-punched by Porto. Um, but I did think this was an interesting game in terms of what we maybe saw in Porto. And Gregor, it looked like they'd been reading your articles about Arsenal's efforts at corners and their threat from corners because they completely nullified that by just diving all over the place, didn't they? Yeah, they definitely watched as many of Arsenal's uh, corners as I did for that piece. Uh, Three? All of them, Tom, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> A Scout account nearly kicked me out. Yeah. Overuse. Um yeah, that that was the kind of key theme for 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 our, some people are calling them naive after this, but I think there's just a different feel about European ties sometimes, and and even the way they're officiated, and and when you watched the way that, as you say, Porto's players defenders were either grappling, which meant that the referee had to kind of blow his whistle and and halt the corner and intervene and have a word with people initially and say. Uh, Less grappling, please, and then or they were falling to the ground. It was just like creating. There was more likelihood for for a foul to be given from the off. Do you think it was? I, I thought it was interesting. Even in the very first minute, I think was it the first minute Declan Rice got booked, lost the yeah, ball. Yeah, that was a bit unlucky. Silly lunge, got nutmegged, and it was just that kind of thing of where maybe, you no, know, Arsenal were going. Oh, yeah. oh God, Christ! We're, as you say, we're in, we're in a Champions League game here. Bloody hell, this is not the Premier League. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's just it just had a different feel and the way that they bought fouls, uh, the way that they grappled, but without without being penalised for it, it just felt different. You know, it feels like uh, Arsenal can get away with these things, and often the way the way that they protected the goalkeeper even mm. from the set pieces was completely different to anything you've seen in the Premier League. It was it was kind of militant, yeah. <laughs> and it worked mm. because from the very first corner as well, the keeper came and claimed it. And a lot of the times he did, and this is um, this is obviously this is only one part of the game, but it was Arsenal's biggest threat. They didn't create anything from open play, yeah. and not very often this season that's what's opened the game up for them. They've managed to get ahead of the set piece, and it didn't work. James, what have you made of Arsenal in recent weeks? We've not had you on the show for a while. Obviously, they've kind of went through a difficult period, then had that win against Liverpool, and now blowing everyone away. Now another little dip in this defeat. What what are you making of Mikel Arteta's side this season? I mean, overall, I, I think Arsenal are a really, really good team. Um, I think, Improved on last year? I think so, yeah, a little bit. I think um, I think they are probably a little, another step ahead of where they were last season. Um, as you say, I mean, they, they had a couple of, um, you know, poor results. I think one really poor performance, which was the game against Fulham. Um, but you could say that of all the, of all the main contenders, they've all had, had their slip-ups. Um, and I think... Yeah, I think, in my opinion, I think defensively they're the best team in the Premier League. Um, I mean, to, to see the way that they they nullified Liverpool and also the way they they nullified Liverpool and City in their home games, really restricting two really good attacks to very very little indeed. I think you know their level of control in those games was was really impressive. Um, on the on the the Porto game, I, I kind of go along with what Gregor says, and I think. It was one of those games, and I think we we had all these debates a few seasons ago. If you remember the the Liverpool v Atletico Madrid game, um, it's similar, you know, lots of the sort of, you know, kind of grappling. It was kind of bitty, broken up, you know, very arrhythmic and... and Shit, shithousery, I'll say it because you <laughs> A little bit of shithousery, yeah, of course. Um, but I actually, I actually kind of like that. I think in a world where... It feels like the things which made European football different are sort of, you know, I think there are less and less of those things. You know, even like things like away goals, we don't have anymore. And I think we're probably moving towards, a, you know, a football landscape where the Champions League and the Premier League are more, look more and more similar. And I think it's actually quite, I, in my opinion, I think it's actually a good thing to have elements which just feel completely unlike the Premier League and make it make the Champions League feel like actually a completely distinct challenge almost like you know when you have games like this where the ball in playtime is so low and you have so many fouls it's all it almost feels like it's kind of a slightly different sport or a slightly different version of the same sport and and I quite although obviously it's not fun to play against it's something it's not, even, great spectacle it's, 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 not even, it's not even particularly fun to watch but I kind of I think challenge. maybe you wish it away at your peril because I think it's one of the things that that you know that makes the Champions League feel like a real distinct challenge, even for teams which are really really strong yeah. domestically. There were, there were thirty six fouls, twenty two of them by Arsenal, which is the highest number of any game in the Champions League this season, and the yeah. ball was in play for fifty two percent of the game. Yeah, but isn't it interesting that James is making that point, and you know we've almost come full circle from maybe the days where we would have sat down and watched the Champions League to see the best 
passing and technical abilities and you know skill on show and we were coming back to maybe the English game for a bit of the nitty gritty and um, some of that S-housery. Martin, what do you make of James's kind of analysis about the, the game more broadly and that kind of contrast between Premier League and Europe? I've never minded I've never minded it, even at Atletico. Atletico Madrid, I think it was a game, I think it was against Manchester City, when it was just so extreme mm. by the end of it. It, 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 it just looked at and thought, no, this is, this is wrong. But most, mostly, you know, you've, you've got, you know, I never minded long ball. I never minded what Wimbledon did and, and or anything like that, going all the way back to those sort of crazy gang days. You just thought, right, you've got to beat it. You've got to find a way of beating it. When Arsenal couldn't get ahead of Stoke in successive matches because they, uh, in meetings, successive meetings, because they couldn't handle the sort of the throw ins and they couldn't handle the way Stoke played, I have a huge, as long as it's, as long as you're not kicking people up in the air as long as you're not you know putting people out of the game for six months you've got to find a way around it you've mm. got to find a way of beating it um, and uh, but I don't read too much into what happened last night if they were to get knocked out if they were to get knocked out which I don't think they will uh, if they were, you'd you'd look at it and go, they've gone out in the last sixteen again. I think this is it a run of seven to here that they've gone out in the last sixteen of the Champions League and and they haven't been in the tournament um, for some of that period as well. It's a long, long record of not being able to get out of the last sixteen. And if that happened again, you'd look at it and think, well, you probably need a different mindset to, to get you through the knockout stage of this tournament because you, you, something's clearly wrong. But I think they will beat Porto. I think they're a better team than Porto. And I do think that we will be looking at it very, very differently if the guy doesn't hit a, a goal out of the screws in, in injury time, which, you know, poor uh, clearance stroke pass by Martinelli uh, to give them the ball back at that stage. But the, the goal itself, the shot itself, he's not going to hit that every single um, week, as, as I think as was proven by uh, the mischance earlier in the game. So I think Arsenal get through. There you and are, then, Arsenal fans. Nothing, no, know, nothing no it means play. nothing. I mean, it means really? absolutely nothing. <laughs> I think they'll get through. I mean, it does. Um, it does. WD forty's giving you the backing. Uh, now, see, got got it in a second time there. He's, yeah, I know. he's not thrown I a know. coffee over me yet, listeners. Yeah. Um, but moving on, Arsenal's title rivals, Liverpool and Manchester City, both picking up wins in their midweek games. Don't want to dwell too much on the action. I just want to ask Martin and James their current view on the title race because we discussed it on Monday um, with Alison and Gregor. How are you looking at it with these three teams now? Because it, it does feel like it's slightly settled into the idea of a three-horse title race, James. Who are you, who are you looking at? I'm, you know, I am going to come and ask you who's going to win the Premier League title. By the way, so you know, allow this to be your considered build-up. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it. I mean, it, I think it's you know developing into a really good title race. Um, don't see Manchester City running away with it, or do? I, I don't see Manchester City running away with it, but I still think they're the most likely winners. Um, but. I, I don't necessarily... It's always hard to remember exactly how you felt at this time last season, but I think I don't feel... I don't have quite that same sense of kind of gathering force that you sort of usually get from City at this, at this time in the season. Having said that, I think they've they've won something like seven out of their last eight, mm. haven't they? So it's still it's still a pretty good run. Um, in recent weeks, I've been, I've been really, really impressed by Arsenal. Um, I mean, obviously... And obviously, have to you know slightly discount the, the Champions League performance last night, but um, 
yeah, I think Arsenal, um, as I say, just look, they look really, really solid. I mean, it is often the case that, you know, great, you know, it's a, a truism that, you know, often title wins are built on great defences. And I, I do think Arsenal probably are the best defence in the Premier League at the moment. Um, do you, sorry, just to interrupt, do you agree with that, a former defender, Defenders Union? Would you agree with James's? Yeah, I think all the kind of underlying numbers support that entirely as well. Why? Um, why do you think that is, James? Is it the, is it the players, or is it the, is it is it the you know the back four? You're saying the best defense, but a defense is more than that. Is mm. it the way the team plays? I, I think it's obviously it's obviously both those things. I mean, I think race it, it helps that they just that just that you know that that kind of that sort of central trio of Saliba, Gabriel, Rice. Um, although having said that I've actually also really liked it when Jorginho has played the slightly deeper role and, and I think that that also is a really nice balance but, um, but there were moments last night too in race kind of galloping typical race move, mm. movements basically where he was galloping back covering whether it's a full back or you know a through ball that he was tracking the runner he was like he's tireless he does those things so well and that's like that reduces the number of you know opportunities that the, the other team can can build really. Uh, I think. I, I think as well. Sorry, one one other thing is that Arsenal. You can almost divide Arsenal's season in, into kind of from December onwards and before that, and and they're they're actually their attack has been transformed in that time as well. Mm. I think you know there was all the conversation about how much they needed a striker. It kind of began to dwindle, obviously, last night again. Aside, and even the underlying numbers for how many chances they're creating and the quality of the chances they're creating have been transformed as well. Odegaard's dropped a little bit deeper. It's kind of changed the balance a little bit with, with, with Havertz because that was something that was difficult at the start in the first opening kind of few weeks of the season. It was like you realised that Xhaka was quite valuable mm. and Havertz wasn't really filling that, that role and if he was playing up front he wasn't filling that role. So I agree, I think at both ends Arsenal are looking really good. I, I still think they need a striker mm. but it's whether they can they can continue to have the same sort of solid defensive base and discount those fears, you know, those those ideas about them needing a striker and scoring off goals. They're, they're in the race, though. I think so. Just just really quickly, I think I think defensively, it, it, I think it comes down to two things. I think one of the things is that they're they're just very well coached. All the kind of all the off ball movements, all the pressing, I think is just very well coached. But the other thing I think is just. That continuity of selection. I think I've said I've said before. I think Arteta, in many ways, is a very is a very old school manager. I see quite a lot of I've written about it before. I see quite a lot of Fergusonian traits in Arteta, and just that that back four with a slight slightly less so on, on the left back position. But White, Saliba, Gabriel is just such a kind of well grooved unit. They play together so many times, and I think. I think they they benefit, you know, just from those relationships being so well grooved as well. Martin, how are you seeing the title race evolving at the moment? It's three teams, isn't it? Thanks very much. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing else to add. No. Is this because I called you WD forty no, for a second no, time? No, no, no. It's not at all. You're a man. <laughs> um, it's just because. It, <laughs> It's three teams in it. That's what it is. Where are we? February, do you see? Do you see City running away with it? Same no, question. I asked no, I don't no. see City running away with it at all. Um, what do you make of Jurgen Klopp's comments after the win against Luton, talking about this kind of thing that we've slightly built towards over having injuries and things? Allison's made the point before on Monday show where 
you kind of know, kind of slightly chaotic, will score more than you a little bit, slightly haphazard. He's just said, we'll get 11 players on the pitch, we'll give it a go, talking about the Carabao Cup final, of course. Do you think that might run out at some point, that kind of, you know, uh, momentum, if you like? No, not necessarily. They, they've done it before. I mean, the, the possibly their greatest result um, under Jurgen Klopp um, if you think of the, um, the the title winning season as a, as a as a group of results, the greatest individual night is for you no know, over Barcelona, and that's half a team. Mm. He, he does that with half a team. Yeah, very true. So he has got a, there's a spirit at Liverpool that he has built, that he has created um, with the recruitment department. Um, they've bought very very well, but they've bought character as well. And he is very good at getting um, character from his team. Um, and character will get you a reasonable part of the way. Um, yeah. And having 11 better players than Luton will get you the, you know, will get you 4-1 against Luton. That's, that's, you know, if you look at one team there, if you look at a team sheet there and a team sheet there and there's no one from that right side that will get in the left side team, you know, the team on the left is, is probably going to win. And that, it, does, and, it does say something, though, that he was... He was even like willing to draw a parallel with yeah, the Barcelona, with the Barcelona after beating Luton mm. down at home. Yeah, like and that's not to say anything negative about Luton, who've been greatly improved. But that does show that there there was like a bit of desperation about this as yeah. they were entering the second half. Do you think that will carry into this weekend's Carabao Cup final? Then playing against the Chelsea team, who don't necessarily know what you're going to get, but are on a little bit of a mini run by Chelsea standards. It's just funny, you, you you never see a cup final played with that sort of abandon, do you? It's no, no. Cup I mean, finals are notoriously edgy and sort of cagey. And Chelsea-Liverpool last year, was was it two goalless draws? Mm. Or one goalless yeah. draw, wasn't it? And um, You don't think, even with how Liverpool are playing this season? I mean, it would be remarkable if they did. And, and, and Chelsea's Pochettino's team have stepped up a little bit in bigger games against bigger teams and kind of the Manchester City result for all, obviously, is one I'm thinking of. Yeah, um, I just can't see it. I think, but uh, I think, as I say, for the for the same reasons, cup finals are always that way. They're, they're, it's very rare that two teams come out kind of gung ho and try and attack each other from the off. I mean, I, I kind of hope they do, but uh, I think both will try and kind of feel their way in. And um, I still think Liverpool are probably favourites, though. Yeah, Chelsea. The problem with Chelsea is they can't keep needing so many chances to score. You know, it, cup finals are notoriously cagey. You're not going to get too many chances. So Nicholas Jackson, I think, has missed. I think I think the figures 14. were at fifth, or fourteen or fifteen. What they would call big chances, scoreable chances, this season. Well, you can't do that in a cup final because you're not going to get that many. So when you get one, you've really got to take it. Yeah. Um, particularly when you're playing a team as good as Liverpool. Um, so that that's Chelsea's that's Chelsea's problem. But Chelsea against Manchester City the other night, I thought were were fantastic. Yeah, I really did. James, how do you see it? Going? Uh, yeah, well, similar to Martin, I was I was really impressed by Chelsea against Manchester City. I I just feel like it, it, it's very kind of. I think their season has been very you know two steps forward, one steps back. But I do think that we are beginning to see that you know kind of best eleven crystallised a little bit more I thought Dizassi played really well against um, against Man City um, yeah but obviously I think um, I think Liverpool are favourites um, just obviously um, 
you know, an awful lot of experience of cup finals under Jurgen Klopp, and I think that that counts for a lot as well. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think Liverpool are our, our favourites. Nil nils all round going to penalties then, lads, <laughs> is what you're saying. I'm back in a 4-3 win for Chelsea. Uh, that's looking ahead to the weekend. I wanted to come back to another um, uh, piece of action that happened this week off the pitch. Uh, Thomas Tuchel announcing that he's going to leave Bayern Munich in the summer. Always goes well when a manager announces that he's going to leave in the summer before he... He didn't announce it, they announced it. Well, they announced it, yes, sorry. Um, No, quite right. Um, But I wanted to look at what that might mean for the managerial merry-go-round and Xabi Alonso in particular, because James, you were in Germany recently Mm. um, to watch Xabi Alonso's Bayer Leverkusen. Impressed? Yeah, I mean, I think um, hard not to be impressed by Xabi Alonso's um, team this season, really. But uh, So I, I went to watch the... Uh, game between Bayer Leverkusen and Bayern Munich, which obviously finished three 0 to Bayer Leverkusen, uh, and they really um, they really dominated the game as well. Um, and I think it was a particularly kind of striking uh, because it felt like Xabi Alonso really won the tactical battle, and and you know Thomas Tuchel in those kind of sort of one off you know situations is no slouch. I mean, I think you know. There have been, I think we can all remember many, many games, you know, both in the Premier League and obviously on that Champions League one where it felt like Tuchel really, you know, got his tactics spot on and, and you know, slightly outmaneuvered, you know, even some really top coaches. But it, it felt like, um, yeah, Leverkusen just completely um, won the game from that point of view. Um, Tuchel sort of, sorry, Alonso named a slightly different team than he usually did and it was sort of you know it was sort of that sense of has he kind of tweaked a little bit too much here but it, it, it was absolutely spot on um Bayern were really nullified or, or, but but in an interesting way because because Leverkusen played a very different game from usual they they were quite content to have 40 percent possession and just really rip them apart on the counter and it and it really um yeah, it was it was obviously an extremely impressive performance, um, and yeah, obviously it, it it does seem to have really kind of solidified Alonso's position as you know really the most promising coach in the game, and and you know very much a wanted commodity mm. it seems. Martin, do you see the Alonso situation being? Fast tracked, if you like, with either either Liverpool or Bayern Munich. Now that we know we've got these two massive clubs, as I say, it doesn't often end well or doesn't often happen where we know a manager's leaving, but not till the end of the season. And as James says, Alonso is the poster boy of modern football management mm. at the minute. Well, number one, I can't understand what Bayern Munich would done because if Thomas Tuchel was struggling at Bayern Munich before. <laughs> Um, now you've basically told all the players, well, you ain't got to worry about him beyond May. Um, I don't really see uh, how that's any good for their dressing room whatsoever. It's not like Jurgen Klopp leaving Liverpool, where I think they announced it because maybe they thought it was bound to come out um, and they didn't want to be uh, reactive. They wanted to be proactive and, and, and they wanted to be fair with the fans and everything. And maybe if they were already putting things in place, making overtures to other managers and saying, look, at the end of the season, you know, and they might have just looked at that and thought, well, this is going to come out. So we need to get ahead of this. But as previously discussed, Klopp has built an enormously 
strong team there in terms of its character and its loyalty to him. Tuchel at Bar Munich probably not the same. It's always been quite a deal. I mean, the last 11 years when they've won the title, if you go back before, there was always murders with Bar Munich. Um, you know, when Germany fail at a tournament, you see how fractured the country actually is between the Bavarian papers and, and then the, the, the papers in the in the rural region and the you know, everyone's sniping at each other. It's the Bar Munich players against the, the world and all of this. So it, it, it has the potential to rip itself apart and weasels in a sack. Um, and you can see that happening uh, between now and the end of the season because Thomas Tuchel's a, a lame duck there now. Mm. Um, that's that's problematic. And as, as far as the question uh, I was actually asked, <laughs> uh, which was about... Um, um, can you see it being accelerated? Well, if someone's smart, it's got to be accelerated, doesn't it? I mean, all I keep reading is, oh, we're going to look at data. It's going to be data this and data that. You go, well, put into your data what happens if Bar Munich come in and offer him the job before you do. Because, you know, there's no data program for that one. Uh, for you getting gazumped. So you think Liverpool should be in there now? Without a shadow of a doubt. If, he, if the, he's the guy, then you've got to be in there now. They need to make it clear that they want him. Absolutely. But it's also sensitive because, he, you know, I think if he's got anything about him, he'll say, look, guys, I'm in the middle of a, you know, some, possibly achieving time. something quite historic mm, here. Yeah. Let's talk about it in the summer. But just, yes, clearly, I'm sure both of them, <laughs> Bayern as well, <laughs> and maybe anyone else will be saying, listen, just just to, like, let you know, we're very much interested. So we, when you're having mm. the conversations, we'll be there too. Thinking of you, hon. Absolutely. You don't have to do it with Alonso. One presumes that Alonso has got an agent, a lawyer, an exactly. accountant, or anyone else. You can say, "Okay, Zabby, thank you very much. We'll talk to your man, mm. your people, um, and if you would tell him what you would like and and stuff, we can make sure that you're left absolutely alone to concentrate on winning the league for Bayer Leverkusen. As long as, as soon as that's done." You fly to Liverpool, and we'll, and we'll do this deal. <laughs> I, 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 I just, I, I, you know, you can be too clever by half. Mm. You really can. I mean, he's a very, very obvious candidate. People forget, I suppose, that he was a Bar Munich player as well. Yeah. So it's not just oh he could go back to Liverpool where he's well loved. He can go back to Munich where he's well yeah. loved. Apart from the fact he's just nicked the title off him. Yeah. But it will then feel like a little bit of a win if you're Munich because. You've won the last 11 titles, and then the one time you didn't win it, you, you took the manager. Mm. So, you know, that's as near as you can get to a win anyway. You've, you've stuffed by Leverkusen, and now you've got their manager. Yeah, I'm sure it won't be the last time that we talk about the Xabi Alonso situation on the podcast uh, this season. Now, this is uh, the Thursday show. Of course, you might be listening on a Friday, but either way, on Friday, so tomorrow, we'll have a very special bonus episode for you. Alison, our superstar from Mondays, took producer Neil off to meet George Ella Kobe ahead of Maidstone's televised fifth round tie at Coventry. They asked him which player gave him the hardest afternoon during his career. Have a listen to this. Old Trafford, Louis Nani. The first time I played against him, um, there was a 10-minute spell right in front of the the technical area. He tortured me. Tortured you? <laughs> yeah. That's when I knew there were levels. <laughs> yeah. 
I knew that was the first time coming up against a winger like him where everything he did in that 10 minute spell worked out his way. Even when I tried to intercept and I tried to nick a ball, it hit him and went through my legs. And by the time I turned around, I was screaming for my defenders to come across, but I was recovering with speed as well. And I subsequently had to tell him, had to show him what he didn't know. So what I did was, I booted him. <laughs> yeah, so I gave him a good kick, right? I'm gonna name drop right in front of Mr. Sir Alex Ferguson. <laughs> and that sort of slowed him down a little bit and then I regained my composure and my confidence. I knew I was a good one versus one defender. And I was, I was never fearless of any winger. I respected them in how I prepared. So I knew I was ready. And then after that, I started having joys against him. So he was trying to step over us. And it was so difficult because he could shift either side. He was equally good on his left, good on his right. For, for, for a left fullback or a right fullback, it's difficult because you're playing against elites. If you show him and not get the angles right, he will hurt you. And he did for a 10-minute spell. Absolutely tortured me. <laughs> but that's a lesson. If anything, it gave me more firepower to want to do well against him throughout that game, which I stuck to the game plan. Um, and then after that, I must have met him about, I must have faced him about three more times. And to be honest, it was even Stevens. Just because he booted him, apparently. I, th I th initially thought he said he butted him and thought he said he head-butted him, but no, he booted him. Uh, a classic tactic for a defender. Nani is one that fascinates me, just very quickly. It's quite underrated, in my opinion, because he kind of slightly... Because he wasn't Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United, but he was an incredible player, in my opinion. Martin? Yeah, he was... He was, he was all right. <laughs> he was all right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm saying very underwhelmed by life, generally, uh, at, at the moment. But, but yeah, he was, he was all right. I mean, there was a fellow on the other wing that, that was one of the greatest footballers I'll ever, you'll ever see. So, Nanny, yeah, OK. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking... Sorry? Yeah, producer Neil has just been wanting to clarify on George's behalf that he'd say that you couldn't get away with that now, and he didn't kick him very hard. Just, just, just for full clarity. Now that he's yeah. a manager, I think That's you know. Just, yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> you got I mean, a football league fullback here going. What? <laughs> I'm him. thinking about Manchester United wingers. <sighs> Nanny isn't. Uh, I don't think Nanny makes the top five under Ferguson. No, but they've had loads, haven't they? I'm just saying that I think Giggs, he kind of Panchelskis. Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. I mean, Carry they've on. had some players. Gabriel Oberton. They, they've had some players. No, I mean, I'm going back to before. You're, go on, come on. You've only named three. Lee Sharp, You've only hey, named three. Lee Sharp was better. Steve Cobble was better. Gordon Hill was better. Um, <laughs> you know, how many... Dennis Irwin was better if you played him I on know, the wing. But, but they were all wingers. I mean, how far back do you want to go? I mean, you know, they were... They were. Honestly thought I was going to get a bit of support for the nanny. He had some underrated. great moments. He had some Remember great the moments, lob. Yeah. Remember he scored a great lob once. And he also did a fantastic backflip. He did. Yeah. Loads so, of great yeah. goals. More than more than the odd good goal. Anyway. He was very good in our FIFA. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> he was very good in our FIFA because he was invisible. This is the, one, the invisible nanny. Yeah. We had an invisible nanny. He was absolutely fantastic. It was a glitch. It was a glitch in our FIFA game. And and so Nanny was invisible, and he only appeared when you put the little thing over the top, and he would so you could get him to turn up from 
Freaking nowhere. I mean, it was absolutely magnificent. He was never as effective for Manchester United as he was, <laughs> as he was in our FIFA was game. Too, he was too visible at United. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. he, was too, he was too corporeal. He, 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 needed yeah. to be, he needed to be more invisible. That's what you need, invisible wingers. Uh, yes, well, I'm sure. Well, maybe I mean, that's part of George Ellicobie's tactics. <laughs> tactics for Maidstone's clash with Coventry. You can hear the full interview in a special episode, as I say, tomorrow. And if you've ever wondered how a coach gets to that level to get his team ready, George has got all the details. Anyway, back to today's show. And speaking of Nanny and Manchester United, stick with us because we're talking about them and Jim Ratcliffe next. I had a fellow called David Beckham as well. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> as you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and today I'm joined by James Gearbrandt, Martin Samuel and Gregor Robertson. To Old Trafford then and to Jim Ratcliffe and these words. It's not a 10-year plan. The fans would run out of patience if it was 10 years. But it's certainly a three-year plan to get back to the top. I think it's the club's 150-year anniversary in 2028. If our trajectory is leading to a very good place in that sort of time frame, then we'd be very happy. Because it's not easy to turn Manchester United into the world's best football team. We have a lot to learn from our noisy neighbour... And the other neighbour, that's Liverpool, the noisy neighbour, of course, is Manchester City. And they, they are the enemy at the end of the day. There is nothing I would like better than to knock both of them from their perch. He's done the full full bingo kit, hasn't he, there, for ta- <laughs> taking over at Manchester United. References to Ferguson, references to City, noisy neighbours, Liverpool. It's punchy stuff, isn't it, Martin? Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, it's, it's a club that can't escape Alex Ferguson, isn't it? Because that was that was... Alex's uh, comment about um, knocking Liverpool right off their effing perch, which he said to uh, Michael Walker um, in an interview. And um, three years isn't very long at all. It's not. Um, Three years isn't very long at all. If you think how long it took Jurgen Klopp to win his... Uh, first Premier League is so far his only Premier League title with Liverpool it was a lot more than three years if you look at how long it took Manchester City with all of uh, Abu Dhabi's money to win their first Premier League title it was more than three years 
um, Blackburn Rovers and Jack Walker. Um, that's more than three years, I think, as well. Admittedly, they start in the wrong division. But it's that, you know, you things can change remarkably quickly in football. People, you know, oh, it's going to take forever. It's not going to take forever. If you're an elite football club with a lot of money to spend, um, you can turn it around very quickly. Arteta Arsenal went from nowhere to coming very, very close to winning the league in no time at all. Um However, um, <laughs> there is quite a lot wrong at Manchester United. And one of the things they keep talking about is the limitations of financial fair play. Because obviously we've got a, a set of rules here where we've got to pretend Manchester United have got no money. So while we're pretending Manchester United have got no money, um, it's going to be difficult. Because we've all seen Anthony... And, you, you know, he, he doesn't look like a, a, a title-winning player. There's a lot of guys there that don't look as if you're going to win a title with them. So there's a lot of rebuilding that needs to be done. Um, and it's, you know, the one lucky... The one thing that could happen... Klopp is leaving Liverpool, so that's that's big. Manchester City, we still don't know what the outcome of the 115 charges are. So those two teams that he's talking about, they are not... You might not have to knock Manchester City off their perch. A group of lawyers might knock Manchester City off their perch. So Manchester United might not need to lift a glove against Manchester City. Liverpool could be knocked off their perch by the fact that the new guy isn't Jurgen Klopp, even if he is Javi Alonso and he's and he's a, he's a, looks a very promising manager. That could happen as well. So then suddenly Manchester United are taking on who? Arsenal. Arsenal. Tottenham, Aston Villa, maybe Newcastle. Um, that's a completely different proposition. Very true, yeah. Nonetheless, three years is quick. Mm. Three years is quick because, you know, we're looking at Manchester United at the moment. They're in good form. They're in very, very good form. They're winning a lot of games. But if you watch the games, you're looking at them thinking, God, blimey, they're hanging on a little bit against Luton, weren't they? And they're yeah. hanging on a little bit here and, and everything. Which Eric Ten Hag has alluded to himself. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, they're, they're not, you know, it's not Arsenal winning 6-0 at West Ham and then 5-0 at Burnley. They're, they're not those sort of performances. Do you, do you think, in a slight fairness to Ratcliffe, or at least to put the opposite side across, did he need to be this bullish? Did he, did it kind of need a bit of this? You know, he's, he's, he's finally got the takeover ratified. Well, no one said... A, Dicky Bird, no, no owner of Manchester United said Dicky yeah. Bird about that football club in about fifteen years. Exactly. So, so did, did, he have, need, did he need to, have to come out come politically? Out, yeah, to have yeah. a fella come out and go right, we're Manchester United, and and you know, and start talking as if you're Manchester United. Mm. Yeah, because to, to, to change the sort of the focus, the focus and the context of what of mm. what the discussion has been about Manchester United to say, well, we are. We're shifting the focus back to the football side of this, this club. Yeah. It's not just a commercial entity. So this is positive in many ways. For Manchester United fans, I'm sure, will feel that way. Yeah, there was the, the Fergie, Fergie bingo. Yeah, the three years is, a, is possibly bullish and he might come to regret that. Um, I thought he also strayed quite close to the line of, like, you know, he, he basically said it's been misery. He said it's been misery for the last 11 years. You wonder, like, what the Glazers feel about how close he came to the line of saying that they've, they've been a disaster really mm. and he yeah. said it without saying it which so, he obviously can't do because he doesn't have a full control of the club of course, I'm sure he, he, probably said, would, yeah. he even said I think in 
in further down in Matt uh, Dickinson's piece, like, you know, I'm sure we won't have to go into the bottom drawer to to pull out the legal agreements about what can and cannot be said. But he came close. Mm. Um, also, there were bits in that, that jarred with me, saying we're, we're still debating what the what the style of play should be for this football club. I mean, I don't think you should be anywhere near the debate, Jim. No. That's first. Absolutely he, he, not. He did, the manager. He did later down say, like, I'm, there are, I'm not the football expert. So, you know, that was a bit contradictory. But, you know, and he was also pointing out that Manchester City have, what, 13 clubs and they all, they all, sorry, the City Football Group have 13 clubs, of which Manchester City are one, and they all play in the same style. Uh, there's like a, a philosophy, a, a blueprint, and he was alluding to that we need to find what that is and decide what that is about Manchester United. Where Eric Ten Hag fits into all that, these are big questions. Mm. So, and he didn't come anywhere near to saying Eric Ten Hag is the man. He's, he's our man. No, yeah. he, he, I mean there was more of a future for Mason Greenwood at, uh, at Manchester United. <laughs> yeah, looking at the right, answers yeah. yesterday, that there was there was more of you know a decision being made about Mason Greenwood than there was a decision being made about Eric Ten Hag mm. yesterday, which I thought was very interesting. I think the Ten Hag issue is potentially a really tricky one because I think you're you're approaching a situation where, you know, I've, I've said before that I think in general, managers need it takes time to build something really good, and you know, there's so many examples of that throughout football history, and we sort of tend to forget it. And well, Arsenal and Arteta, Arteta is exactly is 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 the best recent example. But having said that, I, I still am really struggling to see just the kind of the underlying things that would give you real optimism that Ten Hag is the man, just like, you know... As in on the pitch. On the pitch, yeah. yeah. Control of games, sort of, you know, sort of a sense of kind of, you know, building and sort of establishing patterns of play. It it just feels... It still just feels like it's it's a little way off where you would probably have hoped that it would be when he was appointed. But you're also potentially, as, as Martin rightly said, the form has really picked up. They actually had a really, really good first season. It's certainly not impossible that they, you know, that they could finish. You know, it's really not impossible that they could finish. You know, fifth this season, and that might even be a Champions League place. Yeah. So you're in a position where that the decision on Ten Hag is, I think, potentially a really difficult judgment call for the new, um, you know, for 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 the you know, for Ratcliffe or you know whoever is in the position to make that call, because. Um, you're in a position where it might feel really harsh to move on and you know actually if you know let's say for argument's sake that they do finish fifth this season you'd actually be looking at quite a solid body of work results wise over the far first two seasons but equally it's still just I, I i don't i don't know whether i believe that he is the right Manager to take Manchester United forwards. There doesn't what? seem to be sorry. No, go uh, on. There doesn't seem to be the same love for Ten Hag from within Manchester United, say with with the Ratcliffe uh, group, so to speak. Um, that there were, you know, Liverpool have always been in love with Jurgen Klopp from the first scenes and onwards. Same with Manchester City and Pep Guardiola. You that press conference yesterday, there wasn't. You didn't get that same feeling of warmth. You didn't get the idea that that you know Jim Ratcliffe 
was thinking to himself, we've got absolutely the best man for this job. We could not be happier with our manager, which you know was Liverpool's attitude towards Jurgen Klopp. You know was Manchester's attitude towards Pep Guardiola right from the very start. Moment, Tottenham and, and Ange Postecoglou is, is the same. And you would imagine the same at Arsenal with Mikel Arteta. Everyone seems very, very happy with their manager at the moment. Pillow and Uno, am I? Manchester United mm. as it, almost as if there's someone there going I think we might be able to do better I don't, okay. you know. there, are a lot of, I, there are a lot of slates being cleaned here too I think like it wouldn't mm. be a surprise can I it start? wouldn't be a surprise to Jake because the, the, the most the most important thing that came out of this was was his acceptance and the sort of acknowledgement that there have been a lot of capable managers like successful managers mm. at this club in the last 11 years mm. The thing that the thing that we have sort of come to the realization of is that the environment in which they've been working hasn't been right. So it's mm. up to me to fix that. But there's, as I say, there's a lot, a lot of slates being cleaned, and it might be that they mm. clean the full lot, and Eric Ten Hag's days are numbered. Can, can I throw a kind of wild card out there? If if you're Manchester United, and you're being really bullish, should you be looking at Thomas Tuchel potentially? I mean, is that a name that comes into your? Are you going to say Alonso? I was. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe that, maybe that too. I mean, I just sort of, I, I, I would sort of. Well, they are being that, bullish, aren't they? I'm yeah. If you yeah. look at the appointments, yeah. they're poaching from from Newcastle, they're poaching from Manchester yeah. and City. And sometimes it needs it. And so, you know, Bobby Robson uh, took when he took over England. I, I can't remember who the first who the first match was against, but he takes over England, and he's at his press conference, and he's got, he's got his team. He's got the team for the following day written down on this piece of paper. And someone asked, let's say it was Denmark. Uh, and someone said to him, you got a message for Denmark, Bobby. And he threw the piece of paper down on the desk and he went, this is my team and we're coming to get you. And it was like this. Fantastic. And then all the newspapers went on strike, by the way, that <laughs> night. It never got published. That that story really? never got published because someone touched the hot metal or something like that and, and my father in law called everyone out. <laughs> um and um and uh yeah, and all the papers went on strike and nothing appeared. But that was what he said. This but he is said we're team. coming to get this you. This is my team and we're coming to get you. Now, you think yeah, that's the way to start. You know, if if you know what what a great start that is, and in many ways, that's what Jim Ratcliffe did yesterday. Yeah. This mm. he, right, this is Manchester. We're Manchester United, and we're coming to get you. Mm. And if you like competition, and I like competition, you know, in football more than anything. Yeah, great. Okay, Manchester, Manchester United, the fancy their chances, fantastic, fantastic. I don't like all the rules that stop everyone else fancying their chances, but. I, I like the idea of Manchester United fancying their chances and City fancying their chances and Liverpool fancying their chances and Tottenham wanting to play football and, 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 and you know, Villa. That's great. Mm. That's absolutely a thriving, you know, watching Manchester United sixth and seventh. We can, you know, everyone's laughing up their sleeve at it a little mm. bit. But it would be better if there was a vibrant Manchester United challenging everyone and playing the football that we remember them playing. Yeah. Um, which was never taken a backward step that's right growing up watching the game what I loved about going to Upton Park and watching when Manchester United came to town because even then and they weren't very good always they never took a backward step Mm. you know Liverpool who were a genuinely genuinely great team would come down boy you you know 
bore you the submission because they're going to win 2-0 and it's going to be very organised and, and the goal will be great and some of the forward play will be great but they knew exactly what they were about and it was all Manchester United you never knew what was going to happen yeah but you touched then on the Ferguson era and that brilliant team and how brilliant they were and wanting them to get back to that but that is also you alluded to earlier about the kind of can't get away from Alex Ferguson. Well, yeah, that, as well. That, and you that, also have that with um, Matt Lawton's exclusive story on the Times website about Jim Ratcliffe wanting Gary Neville to help Man United's stadium plan as well. It, it's the, these players and managers from this era. It feels like they, you know you can't get away from them. Is is that a good thing that they're involving these people and evoking these memories, or should they be, Gregor, as Gregor says, clean slating it completely? Well, I suppose we're we get, getting Gary involved. It's in that entrepreneurial um, uh, way, um, and uh, you know, he's he's got a, a, a very high public profile, and they probably want him inside the tent rather than outside the tent, to um, use an analogy. Um, and you know, so. So you think it's? I think, it, I think it's easier when clubs are successful to make these kind of calls mm. and nobody bat an eyelid. Yeah, mm. you know, Manchester City, you know, give ambassadorial roles to people like Mick or Richard, mm. and no yeah. one bats an eyelid. But yeah, ambassadorial yeah, yeah. roles different to actually know, saying to Gary Neville, you know, help, help, help me build this. You know, and he ha- and he has like in that area, he owns the um, hotel football, which is just yeah. opposite the road from Old Trafford. But at the same time, he's not. I mean, I don't think he's an architect, as far as I know. He's a very successful man who's mm. worked incredibly hard. But anyway, sorry, I was just... No, no, I'm just saying, I think it's easier to be critical of these things when you're... Look, they're trying to get good PR. They're also at a low ebb. Mm. Um, they want friends. It's easier to say you need to leave those days behind, but... Uh, yeah. They want friends. They particularly want friends with that stadium project because, you know, one of the first... Um, Problems they encountered our oh, Wembley of the North, and we're gonna, you know, we want it, you know, we'll ask for leveling up money, ask for Northern Powerhouse money, or whatever. And uh, as a number of people have pointed out, the bloke was asking for that money uh, is a is a tax exile living in Monaco. So they've got a, a sort of image problem with that straight away. Basically, it's uh, aren't Manchester United based in the Cayman Islands? Good question. Uh, I don't know I the think, bloody answer. I think they are. Um, in two minutes, know, producer Neil will come uh, in here and tell Neil me whether, will, will, whether they are. Confirm or, they are. or deny. I think Manchester United are based in the Cayman Islands. Um, the Glazers and, and and a bloke who lives in Monaco. Now, plus as we're talking. Great, about... I mean, you, look, anyone can own a football club. I, yeah, I, I yeah. care less about that. But if you're asking for government money, it would help if someone was playing to the. Or there hadn't been chronic under investment for the last decade yeah, by the absolutely. by the guys who own it. Absolutely, <laughs> Manchester, yeah, was... Manchester United PLC based in the Cayman Islands. Thank, Thank you, you producer Neil. So, well done. Yeah. That, so. so this is what I mean. There's going to be an image problem if they if they're asking for government money or whatever. Um, so. Gary Neville, who most certainly does pay his taxes in this country, um, is not the worst guy to uh, be the be the face of the redevelopment of Old Trafford. Talking about the other people bringing in James, what have you made of both the successful hiring of Omar Barada, stealing him from Manchester City in terms of being bullish, and now the pursuit of Dan Ashworth as a sporting director? In terms of Ratcliffe making statements that say, we are going to modernise this club. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't have like strong opinions on it, but I think in general, the club probably has needed a more kind of coherent, modern football structure. You know, Dan Ashworth, obviously, his career has had good bits and bad bits, but I think, you know, generally, he seems to be a really, you know, competent sporting director. So 
um, yeah, I don't have a problem it's with just, it. it. But it's just incred- incredible. I, I'll say it again. It's just incredible. This only, this only just happening. Mm. This is only just happening. This is not this. This whole structure has been non-existent, or has or has consisted of people who've just been hanging around the building for years and have been promoted mm. into roles that they've never done yeah, before. Have so, not, no knowledge of football. It's extraordinary that, that it's taken eleven years for Manchester United to have anything resembling a modern football structure that that any other successful football club in Europe has. In terms of Ashworth, Martin, Ratcliffe comments about being on gardening leave and what a shame it would be for a talented man to be uh, out doing the weeds is a simple solution to solving it. There is a very simple solution, Jim. It's called, you know, writing a cheque for the current estimate is £20 million. You know, the figure I put on it was £60 million. It was more of a bit of fun uh, than than anything that you were going to get. But I'd I'd still think £20 million. I'd ask for 30 if Mm. I was Newcastle. See, look, what has happened is, if you make everything about money, right, which everything is now about money, everything, If you buy that cup of coffee, you've got to put it in some column or it comes out of this column or into that column. Right. So, £30 million out of Manchester United's kitty goes into that little red column there and £30 million goes into your black column there. And that's what they've made football about. Mm. So, I don't see why everyone seems surprised or horrified when... Newcastle are meant are supposedly asking Manchester United for what is considered an astronomical compensation for an executive. And people say, "Oh yeah, but Newcastle just took someone off Brighton." Yes, they did, but Newcastle aren't very, very actively pursuing all of the rules and regulations that a club like Manchester United want to put in place for everybody else. So mm. you can't have it that it's all got to be about money and then not. Imagine that there is a consequence to that, which is that if you're going to make it about money, well then, let's make it about money, lads. You give us £30 million, that goes into our, you know, so we're now £60 million apart on the profit and sustainability. Right, that, that seems a, a reasonable, uh, reasonable way of doing it. Uh, it's just... should, you should have been the accountant, not WB40. No, I, I, I can't believe I didn't yeah, see yeah, that coming. It should know, have been you know your nickname. Bloody WD40. I rushed it. Thing. Damn it. No, this is the thing. I don't want to be the accountant. I don't think it <laughs> no, should you are be about now. accountancy. I don't think it should be about accountancy. I think it should be about the best of this club against the best of that club. With, with no one sitting there going, this is the problem. They've made football about accountancy. I don't want to watch accountancy. Fine. I've got an account. I don't want to watch him work. <laughs> but look, thinking about come bring it back to the pitch. Let's finish with Manchester United on the pitch because James, kind of, you touched on it, talking about this team that Ten Hag has got the potential there. And you know, I've discussed it with Paul Hurst. When you look at that team and you think Hoyland scored, is, is scoring mm, yeah. now and looking really yeah. good. We talked about it on Monday. Rashford one side, Garnacho the other side. That's quite a kind of a front three that you could a get excited by and b see a real kind of growth and potential. Yeah. On the on, on the pitch, do we think they're lacking lots, or is there actually now they've got a lot of players back, and obviously Luke Shaw's injury looks like it might rule him out for the rest of the season, which is a massive blow. But on the pitch, do they actually look like they've got the germs of a good team potentially, James? I think, yeah, I think in terms of in terms of individuals, I think you know, I think they're part of the way there, but but not there yet, really. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a no. That's a no. <laughs> that's a Gregor <laughs> no, Robertson no. I think. Um, <laughs> 
you know, as you say, they they have potentially, um, you know, an, an exciting forward line. Obviously, you know, Minor has come in and looked looked really good. Looked like he could be, you know, a piece of a, you know, a, a, a team that a really good team that that, that you're building. Um, In terms of that forward line, I just realised you you mentioned Mason Greenwood earlier, Martin. Mm. What did we make of those kind of suggestions, or is it all is it all about money? Two things, yeah. There you go. I teed you. Two things. Two things. One, you don't know if if they would entertain having him back, or whether that would be um, regarded as too disruptive or whatever. But two, if they aren't going to have him back then they'll sell him. Hmm. Now, everyone thought they should just cancel the contract. Yeah. And this Which also wasn't necessarily how it was framed at the time. The no, it wasn't. The they, le- they left a, a, a door open. But, again, we're back to, if you make everything about money, then if you're Jim Ratcliffe and, you're, and you, you've got to pretend Manchester United are poor because of FFP, um, then, right, how do we get money in? Well, that's pure profit. Because he's a he, he's a kid through your. This is the great irony that the thing that everyone thinks is most marvellous about Manchester United, which is this youth policy that has sustained them in many ways through decades and you know through much more than half a century. They're the guys that the um, the rules now say the smart move with Marcus Rashford. If you can get PSG to pay hundred million pounds for him, that's hundred million pounds like pure profit. We're all raving about Mainu. People are talking about could he be in an England England squad. He is this gem that Manchester United have produced, but the smartest thing you could do is sell him. Mm. In, in terms of your budget, yeah, uh, you know, sell him. You you're know, not actually we, saying the smart no, thing. No, I'm not saying it's a smart thing. No, it's but not. You're saying but from what the I'm saying is that from a financial point of view, these <laughs> rules are basically saying sell your kids. You know, sell the crown jewels. If you produce someone, you know, Mason Mount. So they're, in fairness, you know, they're only saying that if you've overspent. No, they're saying it because to, the, to allow you to spend. Yeah, but they've spent really badly in the last. Oh, they've decade. spent really badly. So, but then again, if Chelsea it. hadn't spent a billion quid in three transfer windows, they wouldn't have to sell all their kids. That's all I'm saying. Like I understand that 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 is a a flaw in the rules, but the it's the, the clubs the, the clubs for whom it's a flaw are the clubs who spent. Money really badly. Yeah, but you're allowed to spend money really badly. It's not a, it's not an exact science the transfer market, and it never has been. You're going to make a mistake. Uh, going back to the team, I think, like, I think, I think they're miles off. <laughs> I mean, we can hum and ha about it, but they're still relying on Johnny Evans to come on against Luton in the last game. He played really well, but like, so three, was, three, three. Come back, coming back to that three years thing, you're not confident of the three years, Gregor. Well, the. the Come back to Martin's point, they probably will have to do some interest in uh, accountancy work if they mm. want to spend the money on the team. Um, because even anyone that they spent money on is not worth anything like what the money they spent on them. Jaden Sancho, what, what would they get for him now if they were willing to sell him? You know, who knows? A new manager might welcome him back into the fold. Anthony, what would they get for him? I, I can't see anyone who's appreciated in value. I can't see anyone who's a major asset. Who's a major asset apart from Rashford, Hoyland? They're not going to sell. They just bought him. Who? Mm-hmm. Garnacho. Yeah, but we don't want to say. I, mean, I suppose. I suppose the other one is the best players. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's no one else that's 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 an asset. So it's going to be an issue for them. One of the, I suppose one of the other issues from a United sort of you know kind of 
from a sort of future oriented point of view you know sort of building towards you know potentially having a title winning team in three years their best player is Bruno Fernandes in my opinion and Bruno Fernandes is what 30 years old mm. so is he part of that you know team that's going to win you the title in three years again that's that's another that's another difficult decision um you know and the thing the thing that you know the thing that took that have taken Arsenal we think have taken Arsenal another level another step this season is a bit more strength and depth it takes time to even do that so to get even to get your team into a position where your squad you're cap- no your team your your best 11 into a position where you're you're able to challenge Man City and Liverpool and, and now Arsenal that will take time but to have the strength and depth that it takes to compete on all all fronts and to have a, a backup that's not got Johnny Evans on it on the bench that's you know and people won't want to leave yeah and people won't want to leave if you if you remember last summer with a lot less positive it was quite a good quite it was a good first season they won a trophy and and, and they qualified for the Champions League um but they couldn't get Scott McTominay out of the club Harry Maguire had a, a chance to go didn't want to go why is this summer going to be any different if Jim Radcliffe is about to usher in this title winning era this next three years here we go you know this time next year Rodgers will be millionaires or whatever <laughs> um, if he's about to usher that in why would Harry Maguire want to go this summer Yeah. why would Scott McTominay want to go this summer You'd say no, no, no. I, I want to be part of this. I'll, you know, I've, I've sat through a lot of rubbish here. You know, now, now the good times are coming. I want to be part of that. It will be quite hard to get people off the books this summer. You know, unless you're literally going to say to somebody, "You have got. We are not even going to register you for our Premier League squad or our Champions League squad or wherever they are this next season. We're not even going to register you. So if you want to play football, you, you're better off leaving." We're two years away from a from the World Cup, so it, there's not an immediate pressure. Oh, there's an international tournament at the end of the season, like you know the Calvin Phillips thing. Where in the end, Calvin Phillips went to West Ham because he was worried about his international place. You haven't even got that pressure. It's going to be. It's there's. It, it's not quite as easy as it might look. It will be a fascinating journey, I'm sure, and we'll be here judging them all the way <laughs> Manchester United fans or any other fans if you've got views on Jim Ratcliffe or anything else that you want us to talk about you can get in touch with me tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk but for now James Gearbrand, Martin Samuel or should I say the accountant and Gregor Robertson thank you very much for joining me keep your ears out for that special episode with Alison Rudd that we've got coming up but the rest of us will be back on Monday to talk about a thrilling Carabao Cup final iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.